Check podcasts. This is Van Collar. Van Collar. So this is Van Culler. My name is Mo Amir, and our featured guest tonight is a community organizer, climate activist, and a founding member of One City Vancouver, a municipal party right here in the city of Vancouver. Along with BC Minister of State for Infrastructure, Bowen Ma, she just launched Politics for the People with Bowen and Boyle, a six-part podcast miniseries on demystifying politics. She is a Vancouver City Councillor, and she's up for re-election this October. She is Christine. Christine Boyle. Christine, so nice to see you. Thanks for having me on again. Of course, my pleasure. The spirit of Politics for the People, your new podcast with Bowen Ma, is about demystifying politics. So I'm curious, for you as an elected official, when people come up to you, what are the common misconceptions they have, either as constituents or just British Columbians in general, when it comes to politics, governance, or even their relationship with the government? It's a great question, and there are so many <laughs> podcast worth of them. Absolutely. Uh, but the one I think about the most is um, this idea people have that their voice doesn't matter that much, that government has already made decisions, uh, and uh, and that their input doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Um, because in reality, certainly at the local government table, I see so clearly how much public input shapes the decisions that we're making. Right. Not just who signs up to speak, but who shows up to public events, who's engaging in the larger process. It shapes decisions council makes. It shapes the policies before they even come to council. And so um, uh, again and again, it's reflected to me that actually uh, it matters who shows up immensely in the kind of decisions and the kind of uh, cities that we create. So it sounds like there's a lot of cynicism that people don't actually believe that they have autonomy or influence over government processes or politics in general. Totally. And I think that cynicism really serves the status quo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you could suggest that it uh, it's intentional in a lot of places. <laughs> you know, people yeah. are reluctant. People are busy. Their lives are full. Um, and it's already a lot to ask to show up and engage in the process. And when people hear or made to feel that it doesn't matter what they have to say, they're less likely to show up. And so uh, we don't hear from an accurate representation of residents and Mm. things don't change in the way uh, that I think they should or the way that would benefit the most people. Right. Uh, So uh, absolutely that cynicism, um, I think, serves uh, things staying the same. Sure. And I love that you and Minister Ma are telling people that, hey, your voice actually does matter and you can have an influence on these systems. One of the things that you cover in the podcast is people's entry into politics, and you weave your own personal experience into this, and you identify how outrage, being mad at something the government is doing, is often an entry point for a lot of people. And I would say that that kind of intersects with your own personal social network. So if you have friends or, or people in your community that are organizing or that feel the same way that you do, then oftentimes that entry into political participation is is there and people exercise it. What I see, though, in the last 10 years or so is that there are a lot of politically engaged citizens, participants 
but they're only engaged online. So you see the outrage online and you see even the social networks online. Is there a problem with being politically engaged, but it being exclusively limited to just being online on Twitter, on Facebook or other social media networks? I think online engagement is a great entry point, but it can't stop there because that's not where real change happens. So mm-hmm. if you get fired up about an issue online, great. Um, the next step is to take it offline. And for those of us who are organizers who are interested in social change, it's our challenge too to give people ways to take that activism, take that passion uh from the online sphere into organizations, communities, uh, the political sphere, whatever that might look like. So Mm -hmm. folks who are online engaged in, uh, uh, it used to be called slacktivism, you know, engaged in- Being a keyboard warrior. Yeah, great first step. (laughs) Look for others who are worried about similar issues, get involved in an organization um, because elections aren't won on Twitter, campaigns mm-hmm. aren't won on Twitter. Uh, real social change needs to be more Are you telling that? me that my tweet with 100-something likes Look, does has no influence on politics? It's one piece, <laughs> but it can't be the only piece. The other reason that I think it's important that we take online activism into communities and into the real world um, is because we can get so siloed online mm-hmm. and it um, it reinforces our idea of who we are and who other people are uh, in ways that I think can be harmful for community and democracy and our own mental health. So sure. there's a feminist author I like who says people are hard to hate close up uh, and I think that's an important reminder uh, mm-hmm. of why it matters that we gather together with people we may not agree with every single thing on because mm-hmm. um, our, a healthy civic life includes talking to people who aren't the same as us. Absolutely. And let's delve into this a little more, because on the first episode of your podcast, you describe Vancouver politics as being particularly toxic. And I assume you're talking about particularly online discourse in Vancouver politics. What did you mean by that when you characterized Vancouver politics, which you're engaged in, you're elected in, as being toxic? There's a level of discourse in Vancouver politics um, that uh, that can get quite mean. Um, unique to Vancouver, you think? Um, but I I don't think it's unique to Vancouver. Okay. I experience it in Vancouver. <laughs> sure. Um, and I think about it a lot because of how often I hear from people who I think should run for political office mm. that that's a barrier for them, that, that, that they don't think they have thick enough skin, um, that they don't think they could handle that. And so they stay out of a place where I think their voices would be uh, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it worries me for that reason. Um, but we've seen in this last year as well, uh, places like Victoria and Squamish, where far right Facebook group, far right funded Facebook groups are launching anonymous attacks on mm. on sitting councillors and mayors. Um, so I, I experienced it in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um the podcast speaks from our own experiences, but I am um, very aware uh, of how challenging it is for, especially for women politicians in many other places. Sure. And I think that's an interesting point because that online discourse, it's easy to brush it off and say, oh, it's just online, but it does create serious barriers of people who 
don't want creepers going through their Facebook photos and making memes of them and, and doing things like that that are, you know, they cross the line of just political commentary. They're they're very toxic and disturbing. Yeah, sometimes. it keeps good people out of politics. You know, we've seen far too many examples of uh, uh, of good leaders stepping down early, not running again mm-hmm. um, because of the harassment they experience online or who are you speaking about around? Uh, uh, so the stories from Mumalak, from mm, Jody Wilson-Raybould, sure. um, but also uh, indigenous leaders mm-hmm. um, around the province stepping down from public body offices. So many examples. Uh, the mayor of Victoria has been mm-hmm. pretty frank about the online harassment and the toll that it takes Um I'm grateful for more and more people airing those stories. And I think it reflects the loss uh, for all of us of these good leaders. Absolutely. Very quick question as we wrap up. In 2018, One City Vancouver and yourself endorsed Kennedy Stewart, who went on to become the mayor. Are there any plans to endorse Kennedy Stewart on your behalf or One City Vancouver's behalf in 2022? We're having discussions. What <laughs> what I'm most focused on is a strong progressive majority um, with a strong One City slate to work on the issues that we know residents care about. One City is running an excellent team of people at... Uh, but not a mayoral candidate, to be We're clear. not running our own mayoral candidate, okay. but an incredible team of candidates at council and school board and park board. I'm really excited about what we could get done with all of those voices at the table. We are now in the podcast exclusive part of my chat with Vancouver City Councillor Christine Boyle. Christine, thanks for sticking around. Always glad to be here. Third time's the charm. We This is the third time we're doing this. I know. We were so uh, fresh and young last time. And <laughs> you've built this whole great career out of um you became a city councillor you're very influential i know who would have thought now i have a podcast i'm I'm following it all comes full circle i love it i uh, we talked about the mayor kennedy stewart uh uh, issue or question about whether your party or you will endorse him we talked about that on the tv segment i gotta ask you are you gonna run for mayor sometime you know uh, Are you going to be a late entry? Uh, not this time. Okay. Um, I, I got asked by a number of folks, some folks I really respect um, and, oh, wow. and uh, appreciate. Um, but my focus this election is really on getting more One City voices to the table. Um, and maybe in a in a future year, we'll see what, what uh, that holds for me or One City. Now, uh, I, I have to ask, and, and I appreciate you, your answer here, but since you, you put it out there, I got to ask, it, when you... Think about it or consider it. Obviously, people have come to you and said, oh, you should do this. Are you thinking about how possible it is for you to win? Or are you thinking about, can I take on these responsibilities? What goes into your thought process when you make that decision? It's a great question. My The question I think about a lot on all the issues I work on and in big life decisions like that is really, um, where can I make the most impact? Mm. Uh, and so that's what I reflected on. Um, and I feel pretty good about the impact I've been able to make at council. There are some fights I've lost, issues I haven't been able to get the votes to do as much as I wanted to on. Um, but 
on on a number of issues I care about. I feel like I've really been able to punch above my weight at the council table. I know I'll be able to do even more with more one city voices at the table there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the that's the question and calculation for me. I, and I know I can be on council. Uh, I mean, I'll run again and and hopefully get reelected to council, get more one city folks elected, and be able to keep making an impact. The the mayor has a big impact too, um, but it's not worth the risk for me at this point. Sure, in knowing what I could do in another term on council. Going back to the mayor and this and this question about endorsing him or not endorsing him, as you and your party did in 2018, if you do end up endorsing him, is this kind of one of those things where listen, he's not our ideal guy, but he's the best guy in terms of your choices. You know, because you and the mayor have had differences on certain votes. Yeah, I mean, we have uh, we have voted the same on many, many more things than we've had differences on. There's a lot that we broadly agree on in terms of priorities, and we've found ways to work together on those things. There have been some things we haven't agreed on. Um, That's that. Uh, The conversation and again, the sort of the important thing for me is what are the big priorities that we want to accomplish in the next term, me and a one city team? And can we uh, count on Kennedy? Um, Can we work together on those issues to uh, to get them done? So Mm -hmm. those are the conversations that I think are the most important. Does it complicate things knowing that allegedly he's going to be running his own slate? So you're you could be potentially endorsing a mayor, but he's got this whole team that he's trying to get elected and you, your party as well, at least four candidates are trying to get elected to council as well. Yeah, I mean, all of it, to be frank, all of that is a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing progressive parties not all not run too many and not run and compete against each other is a challenge. So those are conversations that one city has been having with a whole, with a bunch of progressive parties, you know, and, and mm-hmm. uh, just like I have worked well with the mayor on a number of issues, uh, there are different issues I've been able to work well with the Greens on or with Jean on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really my style in part. I, I, um, I really value teamwork and and finding common ground to move things forward rather than sort of being right and losing every time, um, <laughs> which is some people's style uh, of politics. But but my style of politics is that I want to I want to get things done. I want to improve people's lives in tangible ways. Right. Make the most of my time there. Um. So so I've worked well with a lot of uh, my colleagues around the council table and. We're having similar conversations about what we can get done together and how we uh, how we run in a way that doesn't compete with one another and prioritizes those issues. What advice would you give to the parties and candidates who are center right? Because they seem to be really eating each other's lunch right now. But you're you're describing an environment where there seems to be a little more coordination in terms of working together or not trying to step too much on each other's toes. I mean, I'm just going to stay out of giving him advice. Uh, you know, I've been involved in uh, political organizing and community organizing a long time. Yeah. Um, uh, I have seen also on the progressive end of things, uh, similar competition and infighting. Mm-hmm. Um, it is familiar to me. Um, uh, 
I'll just leave it. <laughs> no, I'll just I leave appreciate it there. that. You know, I had to ask you. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the big questions that I feel going into 2022, and, and this is not just limited to the city of Vancouver. I think it exists in a lot of different jurisdictions. I've talked to Brad West about this as well, is this idea of what is the scope of responsibility for the city of Vancouver? Because I think people understand you know, the basics in terms of uh, utilities, uh, sewage, you know, fix, fixing potholes in the road. They understand that. Parks. And then... There is the other side, which says, you know, senior levels of government have created certain gaps mm -hmm. in certain areas and cities have taken it upon themselves to fill in those gaps. And I'm not sure if there is a general agreement of what the, the scope of responsibilities is for a city or a municipality. So in your mind, what what is the scope of responsibilities? I mean, it's bigger than it was 30 years ago. Um, and it's not as big as some people um, wish it were, particularly in terms of the actual tools we have. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's evolving. I, I mean, there's no clear, uh, there's no clear outline of this is municipal and this is provincial and this is federal, um, mm -hmm. uh, because issues cross all of these jurisdictions. So housing is a great example. Um, housing hasn't traditionally been a municipal jurisdiction. Um, the It was a federal jurisdiction uh, for a long time. That makes sense because people move mm -hmm. uh, around the country. Um, and particularly, homelessness is a national issue mm -hmm. and people move across the country. And so it should be the responsibility of the federal government at the, at the largest level and the provincial government to be addressing uh, housing insecurity and homelessness across communities. Um, but the federal government got out of housing in a serious way decades ago, and we continue to see and feel the impacts of that disinvestment uh, at the local level. And so <clears throat> then local government leaders have a choice to make, um, which is most bluntly, are we going to sit around and say somebody else should do something about this? Or are we going to? I mean, that to sounds like politics to me. Sorry to be cynical. Yeah, and, and I, I find that really underwhelming. Yeah. I, I didn't run for office to to um, point at other people and say, "Why don't you do something about this?" The other piece of it is that if we don't do what we can on homelessness, we as a local government pay for the exactly, costs yeah. and impacts of that in other ways that are uh, less people centered um, and and. Uh, you know, more short-sighted um, in addressing the problem. So it's not as if we can just wash our hands of all of these other issues. Mm. They impact us one way or the other, and, and we have a choice about how we're choosing to respond. And it's, uh, it's tough because I also wish that provincial and federal levels of government were doing more on all of these issues. The drug poisoning crisis uh, is, a, is a super important example. Climate change housing so much. Um, but local governments can and should play a role as well. And um, and I don't buy the line that we should just sit on our hands and wait for another level of government to do something about it. Let's talk about the drug poisoning crisis, because this is an area where you and I, I think, are pretty much on the same page, but where we might have a disagreement or, or, or maybe I have a frustration that 
that maybe you don't share is municipal governments talking about the drug poisoning crisis. And it's not that I don't think they should. I think they should be lobbying senior levels of government, which the city of Vancouver has. My frustration is that oftentimes in the election cycle, we do have candidates and parties and mayoral candidates coming up and say, we're going to tackle the drug poisoning crisis. We're going to tackle the usually umbrella under mental health and addictions. Mm -hmm. And my argument is, well, you're very limited in terms of scope Mm -hmm. and the capacity of what a municipal government can provide in terms of services or even rules to really move the the needle on this issue. And I don't know, it just frustrates me that that often gets used. I mean, Kennedy used it as as one of his top three priorities. Yes, he's lobbied senior levels of government, but aside from just licensing a a safe supply distributor, like what can the municipal government possibly do in this crisis? I mean, I think it's important that that municipal leaders understand the crisis and the urgency of it um, and uh, and are advocating on appropriate and evidence-based solutions to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't begrudge anyone who says that's a priority for them. Um, I think there is a difference between leaders like Kennedy, to his credit, um, really bringing it up regularly mm-hmm. and actively lobbying for the changes we need, or somebody who says, "Well, there's nothing I, I can do about it," so I'm. Not I guess my do my point is, it. aside from what's being done already, what else can be done by the city of Vancouver? Yeah. Uh, and and that's where we absolutely agree. And I find it incredibly heartbreaking um, mm-hmm. that we can't do more, and we are uh, lobbying hard, loudly, almost unanimously across this council um, agreement around safe supply, around decriminalization. We had a close vote around a harm reduction site, um, which was discouraging to see Mm -hmm. that it was close, but still broad commitment. Um, The other thing I would say is I think it matters that our leaders understand and frame the issue um, as an issue of a poison drug supply, Mm -hmm. Um, so that the solutions that we're attempting to bring about stem from that understanding and, and like I said, are evidence-based rather than um, too, too quickly conflating the drug poisoning crisis with crime um, or with uh, other forms of social unrest. You know, these are – there are connections, um, sure, but, mm-hmm. but they're separate issues. And if we lump it all together um, – Uh, Do you think it's unhelpful when certain politicians lump the drug poisoning crisis with addiction? uh, I mean, I I think there are overlaps, but Mm -hmm. there are distinct solutions needed, too. Absolutely. And and we need to recognize that. Otherwise, we lose a whole host of people um, dying from the drug poisoning crisis who who aren't addicted Mm -hmm. um, if our only solution is focused on addiction. Quite frankly, I'll take every solution at this point because mm-hmm. we're not doing nearly enough on any piece of it. Um, but yeah, it's it's not solely an issue of addiction. Um, we know there are heartbreaking stories far too often um, from families whose child was experimenting with a drug and, and died mm-hmm. from a poison drug. Um, they weren't addicted, um, but it's such an awful 
roulette these mm-hmm. days. And so we need to be addressing that uh, that end of the issue. And going back to that original question, though, is there more that the city of Vancouver can do? And what is that? I want I I wonder that all of the time okay. I am in regular conversation um, with drug user advocates and health experts trying to figure out what more we can do, what what more I can do uh, as one elected, what more we can do as a council mm-hmm. in sort of screaming into what sometimes feels like a void mm-hmm. on the urgency every time we get a coroner's update um it 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 feels like i'm it it is the case that we're not doing enough um mm-hmm. and so i am all ears on what more we can do uh i, I wrestle with that yeah all the time fair enough I want to talk about the relationship with senior levels of government and continue on 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 this path here. I recently wrote an op-ed saying talking about the Vancouver police budget. Mm-hmm. The government of British Columbia, through the director of police services, basically said that what the police wanted in uh, I believe it was twenty twenty yeah. uh, that has to go in, even though the budget's already been increased. And basically, the, long story short, the government of BC told Vancouver City Council that, no, you have to make your police budget this much. So that I saw that as a jurisdictional intrusion. There are other people saying, well, you know, if you're against that, you know, shouldn't you also be against the provincial government intruding on things like zoning in certain municipalities and forcing different density rules, especially around uh, mass transit, uh, rapid transit? How do you feel about the province stepping in potentially and saying, hey, all you different municipalities, including the city of Vancouver, you need to upzone certain areas and, and make them high density. Um, I am really interested in the details of it. I, I know a lot of local government leaders have come out quickly in opposition to this idea, and I am not necessarily opposed to it. Uh, I think... I see, but that kills my argument about the province well, intruding and, and upon. And we can get into the, the details. Absolutely. I mean, in part, I think one of the distinctions I would make is that um, if the province is getting serious about um, addressing and funding the amount of non-market housing, supportive housing that we need, um, then yeah, I'm okay with them saying. We're going to tackle, we're going to put serious money into this issue that's been long overdue. For decades, governments have, as I said, disinvested in housing. Mm-hmm. Um, this provincial. So you want to see carrots with the stick? Yeah, this provincial government has stepped up on housing. Um, and uh, I'm. I'm very happy to see that. I want more, of course, but I think um, Housing Minister David Eby has done an excellent job on that front. Um, and if that's the carrot with the stick, that that they're going to say we're stepping up on this and we're going to make sure that local governments can't not approve it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if we're making these serious and important mm. investments that you're asking for, um, we're going to sort of backstop those investments I'm I'm okay with that. And I see how long it takes us to move badly needed affordable housing projects forward. Um, And it's incredibly expensive. It's it's an expensive process. The costs all escalate over that time. I hear regularly from nonprofit and co-op housing providers um, just how uh, what a barrier that municipal process is. So I had Mm -hmm. a 
motion I brought to this Vancouver City Council um, about reducing a bunch of those barriers, making it easier, sort of pre-approving uh, non-market, non-profit housing so that it would reduce a couple years of um, city process mm-hmm. uh, and make it easier for those community housing providers to access provincial funding because a lot of provincial funding requires that zoning to be in place. Right. Um, uh, uh, so asking to look at all those barriers. How did, how did that motion it, go? Uh, oh, it unfortunately uh, did not pass. The okay. majority of council um, did not agree for reasons that I quite honestly still don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so uh, on that line, I do think you know, there is space for the province to say to local governments, we know this housing is needed. It's needed everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you can decide where it goes, but you can't decide that it doesn't get built. And I think that's still logically consistent with the arguments that you had made and I also had made about the police budget. I wasn't necessarily against the increase of the police budget. Uh, I was a little more concerned about the province stepping in and making this decision because there was no carrot. It's not that the province was saying we're going to put in some money to increase policing in Vancouver. They just said Vancouver City Council, City of Vancouver, just pay for this. You have to pay for this. Now. Yeah, well, and and again, to our our earlier conversation, so much of um, what we are responding to in policing at the local government level is the result of massive underfunding Mm -hmm. of mental health services uh, and housing for decades by senior levels of government. So those costs are being downloaded to local governments um, in the form of policing. And even the, the Vancouver Police Department, to their credit, have consistently said uh, that they are not the right and appropriate response for mm. um, so many of the challenges that they get called to address because they're who we have. Right. Um, so I would like to see the province step up and take a lot more responsibility. And again, this provincial government is doing more on that front than um, than the previous government did over 16 years. There's a huge gap to fill mm-hmm. um, from all those years of underfunding. Uh, but that's the carrot I'd like to see. Tell us how you're going to be a partner with serious funding commitments in the issues that we're facing around community safety. Um, that's a conversation we need to have, as well as the conversation that I'm hoping we'll see out of the the review of the police act, which is about oversight Mm -hmm. and, and what role do we play? Do we play a role at all? Yeah. I want to shift gears here just a little bit. And I, I do want to talk about what's happening in Vancouver city council. This was, I guess, a minority council. There was no dominant party or Mm -hmm. dominant faction that, that really controlled the votes here. This was a dysfunctional city council, right? Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, I say that with some caution uh, because I don't think minority governments um, need to be dysfunctional. I mm. think there's a lot of uh, value in minority governments. Why? Why was it dysfunctional or just not cohesive? It didn't seem like even some of the coalitions that we saw, like they're they're very fluid. Didn't seem to get consensus on a lot of things. What, what was the what was the at the core of the issue? Why why couldn't the city council work together and really get a lot accomplished? I am constantly trying to figure that out. <laughs> I, so, like I said, I think there's value in minorities uh, in minority governments um, because we we wrestle with so much publicly. Decisions aren't made ahead of time. We're mm-hmm. really 
making them in public. This council has heard, uh, spent more time hearing from the public and public speakers than any previous council. Um, Which you're encouraging more of in your podcast. Uh, well, I think there's yes, <laughs> lots of ways to engage, and we absolutely talk about that. Um, we certainly need to hear from more underrepresented voices. Sure. Um, I think there's two main reasons this council has been dysfunctional. Um, and one of them is um, personalities. Hmm. And I'm a bit cautious to say that um, because I do have good relationships with a bunch of my colleagues. Mm -hmm. um, but for anyone who's ever watched a Vancouver City Council meeting, like there is a lot of grandstanding and abusive process, hmm. uh, uh, unnecessary number of points of order. Um, <laughs> I'm already picturing the city councilor in that, question. That drag it out. Um, and that really, I think, are make risk making a mockery of the important work we need government to be doing and the ways we could be working together. So yeah. that creates a challenging atmosphere um, and it wears on everybody, n not just at the council level, but, you know, our staff have to sit through mm -hmm. um, all of that as well. And public speakers are often waiting much longer than they need to because they're sitting through this sort of chaos. Yeah. Um, uh, and we have tried to change procedural rules to address it, but I, I do think some of it Was is this made worse by COVID? personal responsibility in not making it worse. Uh, I don't and I'm just thinking of the telecommuting part of it. I don't was, think it was made no. worse by COVID. Um, uh, no. Okay. Um, uh, the other thing I have found frustrating about this council and that I hear from the public they're frustrated by is a lack of courage to mm. be able to address the challenges that the city faces and that so many of us ran on. Um, housing was a huge issue in 2018. You know, most of us ran on addressing or or working on the housing crisis, um, supporting affordable housing, and then we just haven't seen a consistent commitment. We had a report um, early in our term making it easier to build secure rental housing that got punted back to staff for a whole year of delay and mm -hmm. um, and review um, my motion on non-market, making it easier to build non-market housing, um, trying to make it easier to build multifamily housing than mansions mm -hmm. uh, got, got killed at the council table. So um, this council has been inconsistent at the policy level uh, in doing the work that we know needs to be done. Uh, you know, I, I think we've just been, the majority of council has been too timid. And What has this council accomplished? Like when you look at the last four years, sure, dysfunctional, but can you point to things and, and say, we got this done, we did this, we moved forward in the right direction on this file? Or is there anything you can point to that you would categorize as an achievement or accomplishment? I would, I will. Let, and not, not directly yeah. for you. Like you don't have to say credit for yeah. it. You can just say well, council could achieve I'm gonna, this. I'm going to say, I'll let other counselors speak to what, what they feel like they've been able to see get done. I'm happy to speak to 
uh, what what I have led and the accomplishments I feel proud of as a one city councilor. Um, one of which is the climate emergency action plan. Uh, I brought forward a motion early in my term to declare a climate emergency and then to act as if we. As if it's an emergency. As if it's an actual emergency. <laughs> um, that being the key part of the work that I'm proud of. Um, we were the first <coughs> local government in English-speaking Canada to declare a climate emergency. But more important to me is that we have a, a comprehensive and ambitious climate emergency action plan um, that steps up to the level of that emergency. And we've had a number of big moves from that plan come forward in Vancouver Almost 60% of our emissions come from burning gas, so-called natural gas, in buildings. Mm -hmm. um, and about 40% of our emissions come from burning gas in transportation. Mm -hmm. So we have been making big moves to get buildings, new buildings, and soon existing buildings off of gas to make important changes to our transportation system that allow people to get around more easily without gas-burning private cars, uh, and we've been looking at land use as a key part of that climate plan. So um, climate and climate with an equity and justice lens is a piece I'm really proud of. They haven't always been easy votes at this council mm -hmm. table, um, but I think an incredibly important issue for local governments everywhere. And we saw that hit home so powerfully and, and horrifyingly in the heat dome last mm -hmm. spring where 100 Vancouver residents died yeah. um, in that heat dome. So uh, absolutely a, an issue that local governments can and should act on. Um, housing is a, another key issue. And again, I have consistently been advocating for and working on policy changes and, uh, and housing approvals that support secure rental housing and co-op and non-market housing. Uh, I, I put a played an important role in um, in the co-op lease renewals across the city, uh, also incredibly important to me, um, and in the future of False Creek South, which was a, a important issue for this council this term. Mm -hmm. So I have shown up and done the work on all of those issues because they matter. Um, and then on, you know, consistently advocating on the drug poisoning crisis, which uh, I wish we could be doing more on uh, on working with Indigenous leaders on the implementation of um, the UN Declaration on Indigenous Rights, mm -hmm. on securing funding for language translation uh, of city materials in last year's budget so that we're reaching m more people who otherwise have uh, are not connected to the city. And we mm -hmm. saw in the early days of COVID how important that was um, to have those services uh, embedded in the city. So a, a lot of issues that I feel good about having worked on, um, led, found support among colleagues to get done. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I will run proudly on that record into the next election, along with saying, there's so much more we need to do. And we need the right people at the table to do it. And, uh, you know, a uh, uh, a strong team of one city councillors will be part of that for me um, so that there's a team at that table uh, and less chaos. Um, and Sure. Yeah. <laughs> On talking about more to do, 
I want to touch on the Vancouver plan very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed like the mayor council really wanted to hang their hat on. We got the Vancouver plan done. And then when it came out, I've only I haven't read the plan. I've just kind of read some of the editorials about it. It seems to be that the plan is a plan to make a new plan or an updated plan. Is that fair? Yeah. Was it kind of disappointing to you when it came out? Uh, so I've never been. Um, the Vancouver plan has never been a big focus for me. It mm-hmm. was an election promise of the Greens. And I think the NPA, um, Councillor Carr and Councillor Hardwick moved it, really pushed this. Um, uh, you know, it was clear to me when this term began, when this council began, that there was a lot of um, mistrust around the city about housing, about the legacy that Vision had left. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I remember wrestling through the early pitch that we should do a citywide plan and um, and thinking optimistically, maybe this helps rebuild some of that trust that we need to tackle this huge issue mm-hmm. um, and weighing that against a fear that it would end up being a bit of a stall tactic on just doing what we actually already know we need to be doing. Um, I have wrestled with those two things every step of the way uh, because um, I want us to be doing the work and and not just talking about it. Um, And so that's my... uh, I like what the Vancouver plan broadly outlines. Um, I feel uh, underwhelmed by how long it took us to get there mm-hmm. um, and even more uh, underwhelmed about how long it could take us to implement it. So content wise, great. I wish we had, there had been some magical way to have that content, a, you know, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but we are where we are, and my focus is what does it look like to warp speed this forward? You know, ideas like multiplexes across the city. Um, great. You know, I, I I would love to see us do that, and I don't want it to take another decade to get there. And even more so, how, how do we um, make sure we're building more of the types of housing uh, variety that we need all over the city. And how do we do that quickly? How do we uh, reduce some of the red tape, make sure there's solid public benefit, there's there's solid tenant protections, mm-hmm. uh, and, and get it built so people can stay here, people can move here, people can stop getting pushed out. You know, mm-hmm. those are the stories I hear so often. Um, and... Uh, and I think need to be guiding our decisions. Sure. The, the stories of how many families are having to leave or living in cramped spaces mm-hmm. or, you know, all of the above. How much of this election in 2022 in the city of Vancouver is like a direct sequel from 2018? And I know obviously it's the next election, so it is a sequel inherently, but I just mean in the sense of, Kennedy Stewart versus Ken Sim. You got that angle. Mm-hmm. You have probably more importantly, the same issues yeah. kind of being addressed. And now the added wrinkle is, I think Mayor Stewart's going to make this argument. Uh, I feel like one city is making this argument is, hey, we were doing all the right things. We just need more of our people to be able to do it. And I feel like every party is going to make 
that pitch. So how much like it just feels like time's a flat circle and we're talking about the same things that we were talking about in 2018. Yeah, and and despite you know, having a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, so so absolutely the pandemic slowed down all of the work we otherwise had on our plates to get done. Um and I think everyone can relate to that. This term was um thwarted by you know a global pandemic that and I remember in the early days us all thinking it was maybe a few months yeah. and now here we are two plus years <laughs> in um and so there was a lot to get done that didn't get done um uh the thing I worry about in the upcoming election related to this um, is that everybody, and this was the case in 2018 too, of course, you know, everybody broadly says similar things. Mm -hmm. We all have a climate plan and we all care about affordable We're all going to tackle so many crises. So tackle is the key word. Super, super <laughs> With bold, bold ideas. Bold. Yeah. Um, so I hope that, um, that voters and the media, um, uh, Look at our track records, mm -hmm. you know, for those of us who have been in office and we're all running again. Um, how did we show up on these issues? Mm. You know, if you broadly care about climate change, but you voted against every single piece of the climate plan, which was uh, was put together by leading experts mm. locally and, and more broadly that is based on evidence um, and you didn't support that and you have some other magic climate plan, um, you know, <laughs> I, I hope we get held to that um, because I really do think it matters. If yeah. you are in favor of affordable housing, but you voted against every mixed income project on the West side mm. and, and you only support affordable housing on the East side, um, I don't think that's sufficient. And I hope that voters uh, and pundits Hold us to that. Oh, it's on me now. Uh, uh, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm glad you picked that up. Yeah. It took you me know, a second. But I, yeah. uh, I mean, it's hard for voters. I, I'm sympathetic to voters hearing mm -hmm. all of us throw out the same words. And there's like 800,000 people running. Yeah. And we all seem to care about the same thing. So, of course, some of that is on us. And, and I try to be as specific as I can in what I'm going to do tangibly and practically about the issues that we know matter. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's a lot for a voter to to take on. Absolutely. And I do think what matters is what we actually do and not just the, the sort of broad rainbows of uh, values that we claim to support. And the place I see it matter the most is in budget votes. Absolutely. So you don't want to go through a whole year of council votes. Look at the budget and, and look at what people were willing to prioritize mm -hmm. um, when it really came down to it. And I will say this. I don't necessarily agree or have to agree with you on every single issue. But what I will say is you come as advertised. I think you have been very consistent in terms of your priorities in terms of what you've put for in council, in terms of how you voted. And I respect that above all else. I just want politicians and parties to come as advertised, even if I vehemently disagreed, because at least I know that that's what you stand for and that's what you're going to do. So I, I can say that I, I absolutely admire and, and respect that about you. I, I appreciate that um, because it matters a lot to me, too. And I think it matters for the 
you know, the health of our democracy. I try to say what I'm going to do and then do it. I wish it weren't uh, so laudable if we're just very common. Um, but I will keep doing that until it is common and then I'll figure out a new shtick. I love it. Yeah. Christine, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me on. Folks, third time's the charm. She's a multiple time guest on This Is Van Color and she turned in a lot to chew on this time as well. Find her podcast with fellow multiple time This Is Van Color guest Bowen Ma. It's called Politics for the People with Bowen and Boyle. Representing one city, Vancouver, she is Vancouver City Councilor Christine Boyle. And I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. Thank you.